Today from the Global Lane, Biden and Harris in the White House, Democrats controlling Congress. Are you ready for the Great Reset? This is a liberal dream. It's bringing utopia to Earth. Preparing for the return. Are we inching closer to the end times? Many signs that we need to get ready for this. Limiting free speech at American colleges and now in Congress. And forced child labor in Asia. Why this Tennessee Girl Scout says she won't be selling cookies this year. And it's all right here on the Global Lane. Are you ready for the Great Reset? 2021 may be a pivotal year. Wealthy global elites are planning your future. And what they intend for America and the world may startle you. Dale Hurd explains. Here's a video of your future. If some people at the World Economic Forum get their way, they say you'll own nothing and be happy about it. Energy will be green, rationed, and expensive. And travel will be restricted. Even your diet will be controlled. And currency will be digital. This left-wing dystopian dream is called the Great Reset. And you're supposed to be excited about it. The Great Reset has been labeled a conspiracy theory and even sounds like a conspiracy theory. But everything we know about it comes from the global elites themselves, who have been quite open about it. This is not a conspiracy theory. This is a well-documented movement among many of the world's most powerful people. Justin Haskins is a leading authority on the Great Reset. Fundamentally, this is a radical and complete transformation of everything that we do in our society. To control people's behaviors, to control businesses, and to move society in the direction that you want to move it, it will change the way businesses are evaluated, it'll coerce businesses to pursue left-wing causes. The Great Reset was unveiled at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, where many of the world's most powerful people go to offer solutions to the world's problems. And the World Economic Forum sees the coronavirus pandemic as a historic opportunity to change the way the world operates. Right now we're facing a crisis of international proportion. It's going to have long-term impact for us. Their solution is essentially global socialism. Think of the Green New Deal combined with the COVID-19 lockdown restrictions and throw in something called the Fourth Industrial Revolution in which technology is supposed to radically change the way we live and work. Klaus Schwab is the founder of the World Economic Forum. What the fourth industrial revolution will lead to is a fusion of our physical, our digital, and our biological identities. It has the support not only of world leaders, but of global corporations like MasterCard and BP, brought to you by people who think they know what's best for you. By giving, you know, the elites, the technocrats in society, the, the most educated people, the ability to manipulate society, pull the levers in society, and, and manage and manipulate society so that it's, in their minds, perfect. One week before the election, Italian Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano wrote an open letter to the president, warning him that the Great Reset is inhuman faceless tyranny that seeks to subdue all of humanity, and that President Trump and the United States are the wall against the deep state, the final assault of the children of darkness. Over the past four years, Donald Trump has been the single greatest roadblock 
for people who are pushing this internationalist, globalist sort of agenda. The World Economic Forum and the Biden campaign even share the same slogan, build back better. To build back better. It's also a phrase you, you've heard being used by Justin Trudeau, by the Pope, by Prince, the Prince of Wales and by leaders around the world. English journalist and author James Dellingpole. You'd be amazed by how many world leaders are on board with this globalist plan, even people that claim to be conservative. This is worse than Nazism. This is worse than communism. This is worse than fascism. These guys are planning on taking over the whole world. Dale Hurd joins us with more via Skype. Dale, how might Joe Biden and Kamala Harris help to rapidly advance this global reset plan? Well, it's hard to find anything in this agenda that any liberal would object to unless, I guess, you know, you got down to AOC and they thought corporations were doing too well or something. I mean, this is a this is a liberal dream, a left wing dream come true. It's it's bringing utopia to earth. And um, Donald Trump has been the major obstacle to the completion of this. Hence, as I mentioned, the, the letter from Archbishop Vigano that, you know, he was the only hope to stop this. Now, what are we talking about here in practice? Are we talking about Chinese style politics with restrictions greater than those imposed on Americans during the COVID pandemic? You know, it's in a sense a bargain. Uh, they want to take away your rights and, and give you more and sort of... Uh, you know, level the economy so that no one lacks, but we, but then you give up your rights. For instance, they're big on us not owning anything. It's an Uber model applied to everything. And so you can have more and, and um, maybe you don't have to pay for certain things, but they can be yanked away from you because you don't own them. It's the abolition of private property. It's the control of energy. Um, you know, they're going to essentially um, tax and penalize fossil fuels into the ground so that all that's left is green energy. This is their big chance to um, remake the world, and they're going for it. And you mentioned how COVID-19 restrictions and lockdowns are playing into all of this. So what about the coronavirus vaccine? How is that going to be uh, used to advance this agenda? Well, th they would certainly be for a mandate in uh, for, you know, vaccination in every country. Look, and, you know, it's astonishing, the, the arrogance that this is all on, on the Internet. This is all on their websites. It's not on conspiracy sites. I mean, they would love for everyone to be chipped, you know, to, to get, you know, vaccinations for this and that. Um, essentially, under their, their plan, you lose control of, of your body. And, um, and, and it's this bargain that in exchange for that, you can trust them to make your life better. And Dale, I noticed something big is missing in this plan of the global elites, God. No mention of him, faith, just this fusion of physical, digital, and biological identities, nothing about the spiritual. Yeah, and, and more arrogance. It, it's like the plot of a science fiction movie where you're asking, wait a minute, where's God in this? I mean, and, and that is the world that they live in. It's this giant disconnect between the elites of the world that live, I don't know where, and, and, and the working men and women of this world. And I personally think that this probably isn't going anywhere because it's so disconnected from our day-to-day -day lives. Okay, Dale Hurd, senior international correspondent for CBN News. Thank you for providing those additional insights. Thank you, Gary. Are we truly living in the end times? 
A LifeWay survey conducted last year found that 9 in 10 pastors say at least some current events match what Jesus said would occur shortly before he returns to earth. So if true, what does that mean for you? What should we do as individuals and as a nation to get ready? Well, Troy Anderson is a Pulitzer Prize-nominated author and journalist who's co-authored the new book, The Military Guide to Armageddon, Battle-Tested Strategies to Prepare Your Life and Soul for the End Times. Troy, it's a pleasure to have you with us. So when we look at some current events, war, famine, plagues, political division, disunity, the COVID pandemic, many people say, yeah, we're living in the end times, all right. But these things have been going on for a long time. So specifically, what makes you think that Armageddon and Jesus's return are getting closer? You know, uh, Gary, over the last decade, I've uh, investigated this question. Are, are we really moving into the biblical end times? I've done over 200 interviews with, you know, major faith leaders and experts in many fields. Uh, you know, but Billy Graham told me signs of the end of the age are converging for the first time since Jesus made those predictions. And then just a, a host of faith leaders said the same thing. But then experts at existential risk institutes at Oxford and uh, Harvard and MIT, they, they say that there's great dangers, uh, you know, nuclear war, of course. Uh, artificial intelligence, even a, a global totalitarian government. So there's there's many signs that we're moving into these uh, what what Jesus and the prophets said would happen in the last days. Troy, I've traveled around the world and I've met many persecuted Christians. In some countries, the suffering is extensive; it's overwhelming. Nothing compares to that right here in the U.S. But we are seeing some troubling developments now with churches being shut down uh, during the pandemic, also church shootings. So what do you anticipate will happen in the days ahead to Christians and other people of faith right here in the United States? Yeah, I think uh, this this COVID-19 pandemic has been a big uh, wake-up call for the church here in America. Uh, you know, some churches have closed, and, and now we're, we're watching sort of loss of freedoms, the rollout of this great reset that the, the, the elite are talking about, and even, you know, certain levels of uh, oppression and persecution going on. So, you know, the Bible told us that this kind of thing would happen as we move into the end times, and we're, we're now beginning to experience, you know, a, a slight amount of what, you know, the terrible persecution that's been going on around the world for, for many years now. You, you think it's going to get worse? We're going to see Christians jailed and persecuted? Well, I mean, j just the other day, a, a lawmaker in New York proposed a bill to have detention camps for people with, uh, uh, I, I guess, with COVID. So that was a, a pretty stunning development. We, only time will tell if that actually go forward. But, but there's certainly, you know, many signs that we need to get ready for this. The church needs to wake up. And, and that, that's why we wrote this book. It's just scary to think that those things are actually being proposed, whether they're even approved or not. It's We're on the way. Uh, in your book, you talk about knowing your enemy and being battle-ready for the end times. Now, C.S. Lewis is quoted, and he describes the world as enemy territory. You mentioned that we have at least three enemies. Now, you're not talking politics and socialism here. Briefly tell us who, what are they? Yeah, the Bible tells us we're in a great spiritual battle. And so most of this book is designed to teach you how to become a, a warrior of God, to fight this spiritual battle. You know, the Bible tells us to put on the full armor of God, the sword of the Spirit, all those different things. And the Bible even talks about the angels being organized in a military structure. I was just reading First uh, Chronicles the other day. It said that, you know, it describes God as the Lord God of armies. There's all these battles described in the Bible. So so this book is, is actually designed to take you through the, what the military calls the making of a warrior process 
process, and it will help you mature in your faith and and do the Lord's work, which is you know primarily uh, spreading the gospel and and being engaged in this this great spiritual battle that's going on behind the scenes. And, and you talk about sin, you talk about the flesh, and also Satan. Uh, real spiritual battles here. So, from reading your book. It seems to me you and your co-authors suggest the modern-day church, at least in America, lacks a center of gravity, a true understanding of the faith, discipline, courage needed to counter what is coming. So why is that, Troy, and how should we respond? Yeah, so my, my co-author, uh, retired U.S. Army Chaplain and Colonel David Giamona, you know, spent three decades in the military. And so in this book, he takes things he learned in the military, relates those to uh, spiritual warfare and, uh, you know, becoming the, 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 the soldiers of Christ that, you know, God, God has called us to be. So, so this book has many different things about, uh, you know, military tactics, uh, spiritual warfare tactics. I, I sort of went through the process of, of this, this whole thing that he, he lays out in this book. And, and I believe that, uh, you know, I've come to, you know, grow in my faith, uh, you know, it's also designed to help us walk in the supernatural power, protection, and provision of the Holy Spirit as we move into the end times, which is which is going to be crucial for, for as we move into these days ahead. And, and you mentioned many steps that we must take to be salt and light in the world, to prepare for the approaching hardship and suffering. You talk about emergency preparedness. Those of us living in hurricane zones, of course, know the importance of surviving without running water and electricity and being ready for that. So what are the most important things for us to do spiritually and physically? Yeah, so most of the book is, is you know, concentrated on spiritual things. You know, of course, uh, prayer is the most powerful thing in the universe. Uh, you know, reading your Bible, uh, fellowshipping, you know, d discovering the gifts of the Spirit. The Lord has given you different abilities and those kind of things. And then we actually have a chapter on called Prepping for the End Times, where the, the colonel lays out, you know, the, the practical, prudent kind of things you need to do to be prepared for any kind of disaster. You know, here in California, we could have the, the San Andreas go off. Of course, there's super storms around the country. And there's a recent report out said that we're experiencing record numbers of natural disasters of, uh, you know, uh, extreme character in, in recent years. So it, it seems like all these things that the that Jesus and the prophets told us would happen, we're, we're now witnessing, witnessing these things in real time. Okay, the book is The Military Guide to Armageddon, Battle-Tested Strategies to Prepare Your Life and Soul for the End Times. Troy Anderson, thank you so much for sharing your insights. Yeah, thank you so much. Re-elected House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is proposing some gender-neutral free speech limitations for the 117th Congress. Instead of saying mother or father, members would be required to say parent. Instead of son or daughter, they'd say child. And instead of sister or brother, it would be sibling. You get the idea. This comes of no surprise to our next guest, campus reform reporter Ophelia Jacobson says, speech restrictions like these have been going on for quite a while on many of our nation's college campuses. Ophelia, always good to see you. So you have plenty of examples, but most recently I know a professor at Marquette University threatened to lower the grade of one student if he didn't use gender neutral language in a term paper. Tell us about that one. That's exactly right. And we've seen multiple examples at the Leadership Institute's campus reform, even at the University of Pittsburgh. They removed all gender terms from their homecoming titles. Again, this is nothing new. What we've seen on campuses across the nation for years is the attack on freedom of speech and the idea that everything has somehow turned into being offensive. 
just as you saw in the 117th Congress opening this past weekend with the new proposal from Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. You know, she's pushing these types of terms and these policies to ban gender language such as mother, daughter, father, and son from the House of Representative rules. I mean, these are just the types of policies that we've seen. It's this type of control of information that we're seeing on campuses as well. Yeah, some people just think that's crazy. Uh, now, I know just before Christmas, you asked some college students what they thought about a possible Biden administration proposal to enact a hate speech law. Here's a brief clip of their responses. Biden coming out with that would definitely be like beneficial with kind of like setting a boundary and saying like this is what we will like protect and won't protect. Who would actually be in charge of figuring out what is and isn't hate speech then? Uh, <laughs> His team, I'm guessing. A recent Gallup survey actually showed that a majority of college students would be OK with their um, colleges creating hate speech laws um, and kind of prohibiting hate speech on campus. What do you guys think of this? Should colleges have that role? I think it would be good. I think it would be helpful. Yeah, it would definitely help like in campus life. I think so, just because colleges have such a big role on, you know, raising the next generation and stuff like that. If you are on a college campus, there should be some restrictions to what you can say and can't say in order to benefit the college community. Earlier in your man on the street interviews, or should I say woman on the street, or maybe now I should say person on the street interviews, uh, students admitted the First Amendment allows free speech, but why do they support a law restricting hate speech when they know it would violate the U.S. Constitution? Well, when I asked students that they would support a hate speech law on their own campuses, they all agreed. But the irony was they weren't even able to define what hate speech is. And that's the main issue we run into with these types of laws is that hate speech is very subjective. It's very hard to define. So who is to say what is and isn't offensive? In a country where freedom of speech is one of our foundational principles, there is a chance that at any point in time, anything can be deemed offensive by anyone. And we saw that, you know, with the 117th Congress uh, with Nancy Pelosi and her proposal, like you mentioned earlier. Yeah, I think that one student said they'd leave it up to uh, Biden and his staff or something. And anyone who's read George Orwell's 1984 would know about the doublespeak and the thought police. So please share another recent example with us about politically correct speech on campus. And why should we all be concerned? Well, it's concerning that the trends and characteristics of a supposedly fictional book, 1984, are coming to life on our college campuses. And perhaps the most striking example is the idea that two plus two equals five. In the book, 1984, this is promoted by the government to try and control the way that their citizens think. And we're seeing the same thing happen on our college campuses with this exact idea. Professors at Brooklyn College, at Harvard University, and the University of Illinois all actively, you know, supported the idea that two plus two equals five. And they even said that math is racist. This is absurd. I mean, math is about numbers and logic. It always has been. Even five-year-olds know that two plus two equals four. So again, it's just another example of how these professors are trying to control the way their students think. And we saw this happen in the fictional book of 1984. Yes, if you tell a lie uh, often enough, it becomes a truth, or at least people believe it's a truth. Okay, Ophelia Jacobson, are you back now at the University of Florida in Gainesville? Class I will be back. returning soon. Okay. Yeah, I'll be well, returning soon. Well, thanks for being with us. Enjoy that winter warmth. Thank you so much for having me on. You may not use it for cooking, but many foods and products consumed by Americans contain palm oil. It's in our soaps, shampoos, detergents, makeup, and toothpaste. Also in margarine, breads, chocolate, and ice cream.
No big deal, right? But did you know much of palm oil harvesting, especially in countries like Malaysia and Indonesia, is done by children? Kids like 15-year-old Indonesian Ima. She's been stung by black forest scorpions and nearly bitten by cobra snakes. Ima works long hours pushing palm nut-filled wheelbarrows, three times her weight. A top math student, she was forced to drop out of school at the age of 10. I asked my mom, when can I continue my school? My mom said, no more school. You just have to work. I'm sad and hopeless. Half a world away in Jonesboro, Tennessee, 14-year-old Girl Scout Olivia Chafin was dismayed to learn that some of the cookies she loved selling each year contained palm oil, harvested by child laborers like Ema. It's horrible. I, I can't even imagine how horrible that would be to live that life. The Girl Scouts told the Associated Press the matter was a supply chain issue that should be taken up with the cookies bakers. The companies that make the cookies, Ferrero and Weston Foods, say they're committed to support the production of certified sustainable palm oil. Unfortunately, industry watchdog groups say certification doesn't necessarily mean that palm oil production is free of children labor abuse. So what's the solution? Although I'm not advocating you boycott Girl Scout cookies, Olivia Chafin says she won't be selling them this year. She knows children like Ema will have a better future if they return to the classroom. I hope for her that she can have a better life, that she can become a doctor one day and that she can go back to school one day and I want to help her do that. The Indonesian government acknowledges that it must do more to curb child labor abuses. Yes, new laws are needed there and in Malaysia. But what else can be done? The Girl Scouts must embrace their mission statement, which says their goal is to make the world a better place as an advocate for all girls. Well, actions speak louder than words. When consumers devour a box of Thin Mints, Tagalongs, or other Girl Scout cookies, they need to be assured that child laborers weren't used in the process of creating those delectable delights. And what about other organizations or companies? In addition to protecting their profits, don't they also have a responsibility to protect children from abuse? The U.S. government recently announced it would block palm oil from a large Malaysian producer tied to forced labor. That's a good start. But President-elect Biden and Congress need to make protecting the world's children from trafficking, abuse, and forced labor a top priority. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, Parler, and Twitter. And until next time, be blessed.